Hello and welcome everyone to the Lakeside Church of Christ. I'm blessed to see you all and, and excited to get into the Word of God. You can be joining me in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 8 where we'll be in just a moment for the lesson. Thankful for the, the votes of encouragement and the, all, the, all the advice and counsel so far in this training program. And I hope I'll do right by all you guys and you're, you're, you're doing me a great help in, in many of the things that you're doing. I'm appreciative of each and every one of you. That is here this evening. Second um, Peter chapter two and verse eight. Uh, we'll be reading from there in just a minute. Make sure you turn there. But before that, I've got an offer for you, congregation. Um, basically, all expense paid, your dream home. Uh, let's say a, a, a mansion, multi-story, multi-layer, spotless, clean. Maybe you got a couple uh, servants around the place to you know butlers to wait on you hand and foot. You got everything you could possibly ask for, fleet of sports cars, a boat to take out on the lake, if you be by a lake, that's where you'd want to be, whatever location you want, you got, you got all the utilities, you got all the works, in-home theater, you got a pool, you got an indoor pool, you got an outdoor pool, maybe you even got a roller coaster out back, I don't know, all the things you could possibly want physically, right? Hundred acre, pro- a couple hundred acre property, whatever, I don't know about acres, I don't know how much that is, but I guess that's a lot. Uh, just a lot of a lot of a lot of property, but there's just a catch though. Just one catch. There's also a couple cottages on your property, um, kind of nestled in there. And one of them is a convicted murderer, multiple time murderer. Another one is is a child kidnapper, convicted multiple times. The other's a master thief. Not to mention every Tuesday a group of pagans camp out in your yard and they're over there chanting some type of things and they're they're muttering things and they're sacrificing animals and 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 doing all kinds of weird stuff over there and the final part of the catch is there's not a christian around other than you and your family sounds appealing at first doesn't it and we kind of chuck on the the disclaimer at the end it starts to be yeesh so the question is would you feel comfortable living in a place like this as howie mandel would say deal or no deal now, some people may have, you've already probably, probably the majority of people have, they've totally resigned themselves and they've said, ah, I mean, the, the cons just outweigh the pros, but, but maybe some people with maybe more curious or analytical minds are wondering, well, how could I make this work? Maybe I could get the, the murderer arrested and the thief and the, 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 the kidnapper and, and maybe we could shoo the pagans away and maybe we could plant a church and maybe we could do this and do that and do X, Y, or Z, but, but, but just for the sake, let's say none of that's going to work. And you know it's not going to work. Deal or no deal. Even though we might not be surrounded on all sides quite obviously by murderers, thieves, people who are convicted of those things, there's there's certainly something to be said about the presence of sin in the world and the, the plethora of problems that that, ba- that brings. And that hasn't changed over time. Look, look in that Second Peter chapter 2, verse 8 passage. There in verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 8. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now this is speaking of Lot, Abraham's nephew, who he certainly experienced the difficulties that can come with being in the sort of environment that's described in in the disclaimer to the intro to the sermon and to the environments that we could place ourselves in today. Lot, I, I assume, had been raised up knowing God quite well, being a, 
nephew of Abram and, and who would then become Abraham, getting to know the, the promises that, that the Lord had given Abram and accompanying him on his journey to the promised land that he was, or to Canaan. So, so why then is it that we find Lot in, ver, in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 1 sitting in the gate of Sodom? How is it that someone like Lot, who is known as such a righteous man uh, and is described as being righteous there in that Second Peter tra- uh, passage, where it says that he's a righteous man that lived among them day after day. Uh, what is this righteous man doing living among these, these sodomites and these, these, these notably wicked people who, who have rebellion toward God? Well, I'll catch up to speed on that. or Maybe I'll remind you about that. In Genesis 13, verses 5 through verse 6. Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Now, down in verse 8 of that passage, if we skip over verse 7, we can see that Abram, in his wisdom, decides that they ought to part ways. Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. So Abram, again, not, not just in his wisdom to separate, but in his charity, he, he offers Lot the first pick. He says, you go ahead and choose your direction, and I'll just pick what's left. So when we read that scripture, when we go down to verse 10 now, let's consider very, very closely, and let's look at the criteria that Lot uses to make his decision here. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. A little bit of foreshadowing. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, which Lot settled among the cities. While Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So it says here that Lot, he lifts up his eyes and he sees the Jordan Valley. It's appealing to his, his eyes. And so he goes east while Abram heads west. He pitches his tent near Sodom. And, and as we hear that, he, he pitches his tent near Sodom. We can almost hear the, the dramatic music, the cliche. He pitches his tent near Sodom. Bum, bum, bum. What's coming next? You know it's not going to be good. And we can see how, how Lot's decision-making and, and short-sightedness in, in trusting his eyes, if you'll pardon the pun, kind of just uh, leads him down this terrible road and causes so many negative consequences and his error. And, and, and we wonder first, Lot, why did you trust your eyes? Brings me to the, 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 the what's the problem sitting in the gate of Sodom? First, first thing that I want to talk about is why, why you shouldn't trust your eyes and why you shouldn't find yourself sitting in the gate there. So verse 10 tells us that Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw this was a good land economically. He saw that in, in one way, well, yes, it would be a good idea to go there and to plant down some roots. And there's nothing necessarily sinful about wanting to go to a land or make some decisions that benefit us financially and economically. And I think that's kind of where he was thinking, uh, just on that surface level of, well, this will take care of my physical needs. 
I see that the land is plentiful in that way, so that's where I'm going to head, and that's where I'm going to plant myself. And that part checks out. It looks fine on the surface, but that's the problem. That he only looked and he only thought about the surface. All it took was a glance for Lot to see the fertility of the land. Look with me in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. Flip over to 1 John chapter 2 verse 16. We're going to read there in just a second. So Satan uses that. He uses the, how Lot's trusting his eyes to be his guide. 1 John 2.16 Where we can read about these three avenues that Satan uses to cause us to sin in this life. Where we read, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes... And the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. One more time. All that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So, I believe all three of these avenues were accessed by Satan in this decision making to some degree. But ultimately, the the most significant one would be the desires of the eyes. And and this strong pull in lots of decision making uh, is is, uh, admonished and is... Warned against in James 1.14, which tells us that, that we're, James 1.14, that we're enticed by our own desires. So a desire, something that we want, isn't inherently sinful, right? But when we, when we kind of place our faith in that, it can certainly blossom and become sinful. And, and so while there's nothing wrong with it on the surface, it can become, and it can bloom, and it can be conceived into something much worse, worse And it can be capitalized on by the adversary, that being Satan, in order to set us on the wrong path. And I'm sure that an accountant or an economist, a a very wise financial advisor, would have given Lot the big thumbs up to this decision making. But you know, as I grow up as a Christian, and I'm by no means grown as a Christian, um, and most of y'all know that if you know me, um, I'm convinced more and more that the wiles of the devil are are much more like, like he's playing chess rather than checkers. You know, when you're playing checkers, you've you got to think ahead a little bit, but I mean, you're pretty much just move for move going. Whereas in chess, if you're not thinking ahead, you're going to get creamed. Um, and I believe the devil's playing the long game. I, I believe God's playing a little bit longer of a game, but I believe the devil's playing the longer game, or the long game. And so once we start thinking in carnal terms, I don't believe that he always immediately snatches the, the piece that we've presented to him Right away, we're, we may not an initially be engaged in something that's going to cause red flags to, to pop up, but in playing that long game, he can catch us looking short-sighted and he can, he can take advantage of that. So we have to look ahead as well. And we have to look ahead to heaven. But look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. We're told there in Ephesians 5, 15, look carefully then how you walk. Ephesians 5, 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So even in this passage, we're looking carefully. Now, Lot was looking, but I'm not convinced he was looking carefully in the the passage that we read. The Bible tells us in the King James Version that we're to walk circumspectly. In other other words, that means that we're going to pay attention to our surroundings and we're going to control our vision and think about the things that we're seeing. In one sense, it, it means we're supposed to use our vision here in this passage, but it's not just looking, it's seeing things. For how they are and seeing the truth in things. Now when we lay eyes on something, good news, we're in charge of how deep that stimulus goes. We can turn our eyes away from it if we, ought, if we determine we ought not to look at it. Or we could continue to, to look at it and think about it. You know, for example, some of the stuff that's on TV. You see it and you just know right away, I don't need to, I need to be seeing this. 
And we can control that. And we can say, I don't want to think about that anymore. You determine you don't need to, that it might be a wrong path, and you just turn off of it. And that, that's okay. Other things, we got to make, we got to make, we got to look at that, and we got to make long-term decisions about it, such as, for example, the intro of this sermon. Where are we going to move? How, what's going to be the situation there? And break that down and analyze it. And we're in charge of that. And I believe that, that Lot's situation in determining where he was going to plant himself, it could have used a, a little bit more thought, thinking about you know, who, who the neighbors are, so to speak. Now, we know Lot ended up much closer to Sodom than he originally intended. And most of us know some, some really stressful situations are about to come up here in the, this text in Genesis, and you can rest assured that I'm going to address those. What I'd like to do is I'd like to examine these effects that making a, the decision from a carnally-minded perspective, from that surface-level perspective, from, from what looks good to me and what appears right to me, how that can get us in trouble, so that we can avoid tormenting our righteous souls as Lot did. Again, in that passage, it says that Lot was tormenting his own righteous soul. So it was his decision to be planted there in Sodom, or near Sodom in the beginning. And so we can see how our own decisions can affect the long game. And so that's what I want to do. The first thing you need to know about pitching your tent near Sodom and near sin is that slowly over time, you're going to become more comfortable with sinning and with being around sin and nestling near it. Now, what we're looking at add on this sermon on the surface is certainly geography where lot decided to go and 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 what really motivated that decision but as we look deeper which we're not going to repeat lots mistake of just looking at this on the surface and and i just get up here and tell y'all like lot was over by sodom there were a bunch of sinners over there i want to talk about what that means and how that can be paralleled in our lives in our spiritual lives so you're going to become more comfortable with sin but let's use the geography of the situation to kind of illustrate how that can work. Genesis 13, verse 3, we, we see how Abram and Lot were between Bethel and Ai. So that'd be kind of around here, uh, next to the, uh, sort of next to the Jordan. But then we're told in verse 10 that he goes eastward toward the Jordan Valley. Because why? Because he liked what he saw. Then in verse 12, he settled among these other cities here. In the Jordan Valley, right next to Sodom, uh, some of these cities, Shinar, Elisar, Zeboim, the, those kinds of places. Uh, I don't know if they were populated with a lot of, of wicked folks, probably not as bad as Sodom, but, but likely they, they were, and, and, and certainly not the people of God. And finally, all the way forward in Genesis 19 and verse 1, we find him just sitting right in the gate of the city of Sodom. So while we can observe the physical of what's going on here, and we can see the righteous lot moving closer and closer, nestling nearer and nearer to Sodom, a physical representation of a, just a cluster and a conglomerate of sin and sinful activity, what we see is, is how that, that, that in the same way, spiritually, we may be tempted to, oh, not, not to sin, I would never do that. Of course I would never think about doing that, of course, of course, but... But to nestle up next to sin, maybe it doesn't seem quite as bad. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm not going to go out, maybe I'm not going to go out drinking, but I'll, I'll hang out with my friends while they're having a couple of drinks and we'll just, well, we'll just sit there and they, you know, they might get a little drunk and that might feel a little awkward for me at first. It might bother my conscience a little bit, but, but I'll just, I'll just get comfortable with that. I'll just nestle in and I'll cozy into that. And slowly, you know, somebody offers you another drink and they, you, you're sure, man? You're sure? And en- enough, you've been around it enough, you just think, well, I guess it wouldn't hurt too bad. And before you know it, you could, you could be staring right down the barrel of an alcohol addiction. And that's serious. And, 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 and you know, 
think about uh, intimacy with someone you're not supposed to have. Maybe maybe they're, oh, just, just, just come over and hang out for a while and I don't need to be there. And you don't do anything at first, but over time, things escalate. We see those kinds of things happen. And so, so we, we get this kind of experience where, oh, I'm inching closer and closer. And then you find yourself smack dab in the middle of the city. In the middle of the city is Sodom. A godly person's got no business there. Look in Ephesians chapter 4 and look in verse 18. Look in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 4. Look how, again, this is a battle and this is a game of inches. How, how this, this is a plan that Satan has for you. We talk about the gospel and we talk about the plan of salvation all the time. But what's Satan's plan of damnation? How do, what does that look like? Well, that's here in verse 18. They're, and this is speaking of the Gentiles. But this can certainly happen to us. They're darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So it first happens where... He, Satan, he darkens your understanding a little bit. He, he, you know, we, we get it. Sin's an abominable thing. It's a monstrous thing. But slowly he starts tinting the, tinting the glasses a little bit. And we stop seeing sin for what it is. And then when that happens and we become a little bit more numb, that ignorance hardens our hearts. We become resistant to the word of God. And we can become resistant to that correction. Maybe not immovable, but after time, those, those open spiritual wounds, they callous over. And then our hearts become numb. You become numb. Immune to goodness. Immune to light. Blind. Unable to see the truth. Immune to the love of God. Finally, this passage tells us that you give yourself up. And you're just greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Whatever pleasure you can find. That's the path that Satan has us walking down. And that's the long game that he's playing. And it all starts with pitching your tent near Sodom. It all starts with trusting your eyes. Satan doesn't take everything at once. He'll do it inch by inch if he has to. That's how he'll take you apart. If you give him an inch, rest assured he's going to try to take a mile from that. That's why we should not even approach the line of sin. We shouldn't toe the line. We shouldn't see how close we can get to the fire without getting burned. Proverbs 6 tells us this. Proverbs 6, verse 27, it's specifically talking about the sin of adultery. But Proverbs 6, verse 27, it bears the principle out specifically regarding the sin of adultery. But it can certainly be applied to any type of sin. Proverbs 6, verse 27, can a man carry fire next to his, che- next to his chest, but yet his clothes not be burned? Duh, of course he's going to be burned by that. Now you may think you're strong enough to, to toe the line of sin, but I'm here to tell you. You're not. You're not strong enough. You will fail, and maybe not the first time, maybe not the second, maybe not the third, but eventually you will fail. Take it from me, someone who's failed in that way over and over. If you try to toe the line, if you don't turn the other way, then then you're in trouble, and you'll fall into that. And you'll slowly find yourself inching closer and closer to Sodom. Now, I don't believe Lot saw the completion of Satan's strategy. I I don't believe that, that Lot was eventually... Totally lost. I, I believe the Bible speaks about loss, Lot as being righteous, yet in, in torment in his soul. So while he never fully gave up on God, it's evident here that he makes not just one, but a string and a series of questionable decisions. I, I do believe we can see how camping out near Sodom can have profound effects on us in our lives. And sitting in the gate of Sodom, can it put you 
and everyone you love in some really awful, just low-down, terrible situations. Look in Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, look at look at how sin is this messy, ugly thing. It's a messy, ugly beast. It's and Satan is a lion waiting to devour us. It, it sin complicates things. Sometimes we can find ourselves being hard pressed, especially in a sinful culture like Sodom. Look at how Lot bit off more than he could chew being around the wicked folks of Sodom in Genesis 14, where some wicked folk, wicked kings came and they raided Sodom. They found Lot there and they went and they they, they take him captive. Genesis 14 verse 12. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Now, luckily, Abraham came and he bailed Lot out, being a good guy that he was. But this was obviously a totally avoidable problem. If Lot had never planted himself here in the the midst of Sodom, he would have never been in the midst of all the conflicts that come with being nestled up to sin. You know, did you think that when Lot looked beyond the Jordan and he saw the land near Sodom, that he was like, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to get kidnapped? No, he probably did not think that. He, he didn't think of, of all the possible things that could occur. He was thinking, man, I'm going to be blessed financially. I'll have everything taken care of. And he got stars in his eyes and he got out ahead of himself. And, and, and you're thinking, man, Lot really bit off more than he can chew here. Just like I said, Lot, Lot, Lot got into it. He's had some bad luck. He just wanted a nice piece of land for his family. Could this get any worse? Yes. And it does. It gets way, way worse. Genesis chapter 19, verse 1 down to verse 8. Going to be a little bit of a lengthy read. A lot of us are familiar with it, but stick with me here. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. He bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. Spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and, I, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any mate. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do, so, do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Would anyone say of Lot that offering up his virgin daughters was a righteous thing? That that was a good and a clear-minded and a well-thought-out decision? No. How can a, a righteous man be pressed and, and torn into making such a decision like this? Uh, one can almost imagine the hysteria, the stress of the situation. It says all the men of Sodom are outside the house of, of Lot there. And so the pressure that he must have felt after the pastor says that they're all out there, uh, banging down the door, chomping at the bit to get inside to... to to know them in the biblical sense, that's, that's, that'd be a high-pressure situation. I wouldn't want to find myself in that situation. But the truth is, situations like this, they don't lead to good decision-making. Would Sodom had, had, ever been, had to be in this situation? Would Lot have ever had to be in this situation, rather, if he'd not placed himself in such a terrible environment as Sodom? Absolutely not. Clearly, being in a place like Sodom puts some in, puts us in rough circumstances. In the same way, when we cozy up to sin, and we make friends with it, we make compromises, well, 
We find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. Most of us know what happens next. Most of us know what happens next. The Lord promised to destroy Sodom, and he was about to do so at the hands of these two angels here. Verse 15, there in that same passage, verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand of the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Nothing good happens in Sodom. We see that. We see how in an environment like that, and how in situations like that, and in, in a climate like that, and in a mindset like that, cozied up to Sodom, how even a righteous person can find themselves making compromises. We've got to avoid that. Now, it was time for that den of sin in Sodom to bite the dust. Sodom would meet its end under a storm of heavenly fire and ash, and Lot should never have been there. He began this journey with many blessings. He had shelter, he had shepherds, livestock, servants, a family, he had faith. But being so close to Sodom, he found himself utterly broken and having lost everything. It becomes obvious to us that in this distress, that Lot made some some just downright idiotic decisions. And I'm not afraid to say idiotic. I think we can see the root of this poor decision making in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 18, kind of as in the stress of the end of Sodom as the, the fire and the ashes raining down and Lot seeing the, the last of his, maybe probably the last of his possessions besides stuff he might have grabbed leaving the city and, and, and friends he might have made and, and the, the city that he'd called home being reduced to rubble. Well, 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 what, what happens? Some things are born out here. Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. You've shown me great kindness in saving my life, but, Lot says, I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to. It's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I, behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The Lord speaking through these angels, his ambassadors, they, they're, they're telling Lot, they're saying, go to the hills, run to the hills, escape. And what, what's Lot's response? I don't think I'm going to make it. And we see it there, don't we? We see the same problem from the beginning of this. Lot used his eyes, saw the distance, didn't think he could make it to the place where God said that he needed to go. He's still trusting his eyes. And I believe that's what God was trying to show Lot. You can't trust your eyes in this. But still, he does take mercy on him and tells him he can go to that city of Zoar. But that lack of faith is exposed there in the story. And I believe that's something that we need to key in on and pay attention. That that, that Lot maybe never got over this problem of trusting his eyes. Now, what we see here, we see that problem borne out. Now look down in verse 23. Look down in verse 23. Look there. So the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. So Lot at this point, he's not only lost his community. He's not only lost his shepherds. 
He's not only lost his livestock, he's not only lost his servants, he's not only lost all of his worldly possessions and the raids from the neighboring cities and things of that nature, he's not only lost all of his friends that he might have made in Sodom, but in this passage he experiences another, even great, greater arguably sorrow as he loses his own wife. And he's left there, and you think, can this get any worse? This is a broken man who's lost everything. All he's got left is his two daughters. Which, mind you, I assume that the relationship isn't great because just earlier he was willing to pawn them off to a horde of angry people outside the home that were looking to know them. So I can't imagine that's too great either. And he's just got those. And and, and so they flee and they go to these caves. And then, is it over? Does he finally have solace? No, he doesn't. So Lot went up out of Zoar, verse 30, and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. Lot's so scarred by this, I think. He didn't, even, he didn't want anything to do with any of these cities. He didn't, he, didn't want to, he didn't want to live in Zoar. He's seen how people can be. He's, he's scarred by that. So he lives in a cave with his two daughters, where he thinks, I'm finally free of the consequences of my decision, of lifting up my eyes and trusting my eyes and, and going over near this sinful place and being exposed to all this sin. But then, even at the end, his two daughters, they get him drunk and they take advantage of him in his sleep and they're both impregnated and they, they later give birth to the two pagan nations that continue throughout the course of the Old Testament to be a thorn in the sight of God and in His people and, and and the problems just ripple out. And the effects and the hits just don't stop coming. And that's the last thing that we hear about Lot. How different his life might have been if he hadn't trusted his eyes and if he hadn't cozied up next to sin and gotten comfortable with sin. Do we see the ripples here of Lot's decision to pitch his tent near the wicked Sodom, not just in his own life, but all throughout history? This didn't start with some giant, some flagrant sin against the Lord. But Satan's deceptive. Sin can can take many forms and can look it, it can look beautiful. It can look like a mansion with, with all the utilities paid and a fleet of sports cars, indoor, outdoor pool, all the stuff offered you. And it can look like any desire that you enjoy. For Lot, it was the fertile soil of the Jordan. For you, it might be your career. For you, it might be it might be the intimacy with with someone you ought not be with, with someone you admire. It might be it, it might be deceptive, false teachings that that, that tickle your ears. It, it could be anything. It could be anything that could draw you away. All these things are avenues that Satan uses to take us inch by inch away from the light of God's glory until finally we find ourselves sitting at the gate of Sodom. These things that that are in our lives, the, the, the career, maybe even our own families to some extent, our friends that are out in the world, the, the distress of living here and the suffering are all avenues that Satan can use to cause us to inch closer and closer to Sodom. And the truth is, he doesn't care how faithful you are right now. He'll make a, he'll make a citizen of Sodom out of you if he can help it. He'll take a Christian who absolutely refuses to make a single compromise, who, who comes to services faithfully anytime the doors are open, who's out in the community spreading the gospel, who has an active prayer life, who's a servant, who's always wanting to help their brethren and the people that are around them, who would, who would never 
curse or, or utter a, a cruel word or gossip. Someone who has compassion, someone who has kindness, someone who has character, someone who has reverence for God. He'll inch you away from that. Over time, you won't notice. But as you inch closer to Sodom, he'll make you into somebody who, it's not the case that you'll come to church anytime that you can. It's that you'll take any excuse not to come to worship. You'll become a, you'll become a loose-lipped complainer and a gossip. He'll make you into a cold and cruel cynic and, and take you into the world and he'll warp you and he'll make you selfish. That's what he wants for you. He wants to make you self-centered. He wants to convince you that you're your own God and that you're your own compass. And that's how he'll get you to kneel. That's his plan for you. Satan would have you, Satan would have you, Christian, shouting crucify all over again. Satan would have you driving the nails into the hands of Jesus. Satan, Satan would have you bowing to him before you could know it. And then, then he'd break you. So don't go sitting in the gate of Sodom. If you go, sit, if you go starting, starting towards Sodom, you'll see how you'll get inched closer and closer. So just stay. Stay far away. So I must ask you, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. This will be our last passage. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. So then where do you stand? Not geographically. Not geographically where you call your residence, but, but where is your residence when it comes spiritually? I hope that we can all say that we have a home in heaven waiting for us. That we are all faithful to our Father on this, this Father's Day. That, that we see the glory of God. So let's make a decision right now. First John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who abides in Him, being Christ, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning either seen Him, has either seen Him, or known him. So let's make a decision right now to stay far, far away from Sodom. Not to sit on the line, not to toe the line, but to go completely in the other direction toward heaven, toward the land that we're promised, so that we can make it our Canaan land. So that we can have that home in heaven. Because the quote goes sin will take you farther than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. So where where you set roots down spiritually depends on one question. Really, this is the crux of everything. And whether or not you can answer this honestly. Do you believe in the God of heaven? Do you believe that He is, that He was, and is to come in the form of His Son Jesus for all of us? Have you confessed His name? Have you turned from sin? Have you been united with Him in death, burial, and resurrection in the waters of baptism as per Romans 6? I hope this morning Josh's sermon got tore down some of those barriers that we might have. Maybe you've done all that, but you've neglected Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, which tells us to be faithful unto death. And you're, you find that you are. That maybe you're a little bit eastward of Canaan, or maybe you're all the way sitting in the gate of Sodom, no matter what it is. No matter what your need is now, I'm going to be standing right over here to assist you. I know plenty of other folks who will be willing to help you out in any way that we can as we stand and as we sing.